Hello everyone, this is Jim Kelly. Welcome back to Free Reads. And this is a very, very short installment of Free Reads. Over the past couple of years, I have been experimenting with flash fiction. No, flash, not flashing. You know, short, short stories. Flash fiction is a relatively recent term of art, and I still find that when I mention that I'm writing it, I often get blank stares. So, when I talk about flash fiction, I'm usually talking about stories under a thousand words. And unless I want this introduction to be longer than the story you're about to hear, I had better get on with it. For ten days in January, and again in July, I haul myself up to Freeport, Maine, to teach at the Stone Coast Creative Writing Master of Fine Arts program. It's what they call a brief or low-residency program. The faculty and students meet face-to-face for these two residencies, and then everyone goes home, and each faculty member mentors a group of not more than five students for the rest of the semester. During the residencies in Freeport, we have a series of writing workshops where we talk about student manuscripts and sometimes give writing assignments. In January of 2007, I gave my workshop the assignment of writing some flash fiction in a cinematic point of view. Okay, cinematic is a hard point of view to work in because you are not allowed to be inside any of your characters' heads. You can only report what they say and do, as if you were taking a video or a film of them. And, to show solidarity, I decided that I, too, would do the assignment. In fact, I arranged it so that everybody in the workshop submitted their stories anonymously. And then, when we critiqued them, each of us pointed out the good and bad points of each story, even if it was our own. Then, at the end of the workshop, we played detective and tried to guess who had written each of the stories. What you're about to hear is my story. I liked it so well that I reworked it a couple of times after I got home and then submitted it to the prestigious science magazine Nature, which has been running flash science fiction stories at the back of the book for a couple of years now. I was really thrilled when it came out in April of 2008. Because, like the rest of the workshop, I had to find the time to write this amidst the hurly-burly of the residency, I cast about desperately for a setting and a plot. The thriving commercial hub that is downtown Freeport, Maine, suggested itself as a likely subject. Freeport, don't you know, is the home of the sprawl that is the L.L. Bean mothership. In addition, it is outlet heaven. Strolling down its main drag, I got to thinking about what it might look like in a hundred years, and exactly what wares those shoppers of the future might be browsing over. Oops. I was hoping to keep this introduction short, and it's already too late for that. So, keep your hands on your wallets and your eyes on the bargains. You're about to become shoppers.
They pass down the row of shops, not exactly together. Rick keeps wandering ahead of her and then pauses to oogle the display windows. He does not notice the cold. He will never notice the cold. Rick lingers over an array of designer sheets in a linen store. He's dressed for another place and a different time. Black crushed velvet jacket, glitter shirt with a whisper of lace at the sleeves, gabardine trousers. He has a smooth young man's face with skin of 14 karat gold. She drags herself after him. She is stooped and as gray as the dirty snow caked along the gutter. When she wheezes, she can see the breath curling out of her mouth into the chill air. Her bulky fur coat clamps her in a bear hug. She slides to his side, feeling for black ice with tiptoes as if it might bite her. If she falls, she might never get up. That one. Rick points at a set of Bellino sheets the color of blood oranges. Buy me that. A label opens on the shop window. Satine weave thousand thread count Egyptian cotton. Please. She leans into him as if to propel him down the street. You have enough. You could be sleeping on them. He brushes a hand against her withered cheek. You. They stop and start their strolling tango past a dozen stores. She waits outside while he tries on some artful scars at Malad and buys a mink hat at Scars Guards that costs as much as a geriatric nurse makes in a year. He teases her in front of an ice cream shop. <laughs> Remember pistachio, says Rick. Remember when snacks weren't an IV drip? Why are you being mean? Her disposable eyes get bright and a little misty. The latest Sebas come with a special effects package. It's my fault I'm 183? You chose. Rick slips an arm around her waist. You're still choosing. Their appointment at Evergreen's isn't until three, and they are early. Rick takes her coat and hangs it up, and she sags onto a chair in the waiting room. He leaves her to poke around, picking up fingers from their display cases, aiming them at her like guns. There are med fingers, chat fingers, do fingers, sex fingers, mind fingers, and glow fingers. There are fingers of rainforest mahogany and fingers of carbon allotropes stronger than high tensile steel. He reads the label on the vintage Bosendorfer handset in a display case. Its fingers can play Ravel's piano concerto for the left hand or the single-hand etudes of Saint-Saëns. A salesgirl in a white smock appears at the door at the far end of the room. Master Evergreen will see you now. She carries herself with the unconscious ease of someone still in her birth body. Rick pulls the sex finger from his manual unit and replaces it in the display case. He crosses the showroom to her. She tries to get up, but she can't. Rick and the salesgirl take an arm and guide her into the showroom. Evergreen is a vision of white teeth and dark poly skin and post-retro body design. It is happy to see them, or at least as happy as a bot can get. So we're back then, it says. 
Are we any closer to a decision? She brushes past it to the two naked bodies suspended from the neural web. One is sleek and hard and eternal, the other soft and warm and human. She touches the chin of the flesh body. As I said last time, these are just base models. Evergreen comes up behind her. We have many, many options to consider before you make the transfer. Will it hurt? Evergreen shrugs. A passing moment in a long, long life. She snorts in disbelief and turns to him. Rick is staring at the glowing breasts of the bot body, his face flushed bronze. There is a word on his lips that she can't quite make out. What do you think, she says. Rick starts as if roused from a daydream. <laughs> Don't ask me. He sticks his hand into the pocket of his jacket. I'd love either one. He turns the pocket inside out and flicks lint onto the showroom floor. Evergreen's smile flickers, as if from a power surge, then brightens to maximum again. Shall we step into my office, then? She shivers. It's a big decision, she says. I guess I'm still looking. Then she tugs at the sleeve of Rick's jacket. This can't go on, says Rick. But it can, she pinches his golden cheek. Reluctantly, he offers her his arm. You're wasting our time. She propels him toward the exit. But it's mine to waste, dear. Jim Kelly. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll check back here again soon for more of Free Reads.